This is Paul Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. At Gallant Says on Twitter. Text into the show at 710-710. Oh, hello and welcome aboard the Paul Gallant Show. I am Paul Gallant and this is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington. Nay, the world on this Monday, May 10th of 2021. Disappointing weekend for the Mariners. I suppose that I do have to check my expectations at times with this team. But think of it from this perspective. Over the past week, the Mariners played two teams that I feel like they are at the very least better than, if not on the same level as, in the Baltimore Orioles and the Texas Rangers. And they lost both of those series. And if you go back to this past weekend series, started off nice. Kendall Graveman coming in in the ninth inning as the Mariners got a 5-4 win. And then on Saturday, it's a back-and-forth game, but the Mariners had a 5-1 lead at one point. But ultimately, on Saturday, it ended like this. Crawford is ready. So is Kennedy. The stretch. And the right-handers, one-two pitch to J.P. Swing and a fly ball into left center field and shallow. Racing in. It's going to drop in in front of Garcia. A run scores. Here comes the runner running third. Lewis, the throw to the plate. And Kyle is out at home, and the ball game is over. One run scores. Lewis trying to score from first. The ball dropped into shallow left center field in front of Garcia. The throw to the plate after Hanniger scored. Kyle Lewis trying to score. And let's see. Lewis is out. And the ball game is over. Yeah, that stunk. Some bad luck on that front. I don't fault the Mariners for sending Kyle Lewis around third there. The Rangers were kicking the ball around in the outfield and somehow were able to recover, pick the ball up, and throw a perfect throw from the middle of the outfield to home plate. That happens from time to time. But then Sunday happened, and Sunday was just a disaster. You had three errors. I think you left, was it 12 men on base? Really just a rough day at the ballpark for the Mariners yesterday. And right now you're you're wondering when they're going to bring up the young guys because Jared Kelnick over the weekend continued his two-hit performances. He's had at least two hits in every single game that he has played thus far for Tacoma. That's four. And you also saw on Friday with Jerry DePoto in attendance, Logan Gilbert throw five innings, five strikeouts, four hits, uh, one run allowed along the way. You're wondering when those young guys are going to come up. But I have a question in the meantime because right now you have to make do with who's on this Mariners roster if you're going to watch them on a nightly basis. If you've ever watched the movie Meet the Parents, great movie from the 90s with Robert De Niro, Ben Stiller, there's a sequence where Robert De Niro confronts Ben Stiller's character about this knowledge that he has just come upon. I'm not going to spoil the knowledge that he comes upon, but basically he welcomes him into his family as part of this thing that he calls the circle of trust. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the Burns family circle of trust. And I'm wondering who's in the Mariner's circle of trust for you right now. I've divvied it up. I've got an inner circle. Friday night, before Kendall Graveman even got onto the mound, when I saw him coming out of the bullpen for the ninth inning in the Mariner's 5-4 victory on Friday, I felt 100% comfortable tweeting out 
that I trust Kendall Graveman more than anybody else on the Mariners. Recurring guest Kendall Graveman, guest of the Paul Gallant Show, guest of Danny and Gallant. He's number one. He is a part of a bullpen that has really impressed thus far this year because I had zero expectations and we have only seen positive results. Mitch Hanniger is also in the inner circle of the circle of trust. He has consistently delivered power, and he has consistently given you defense to. After that, it gets a little bit tricky, and this is, I think, par for the course with a young team that's in the midst of a rebuild. On the outer circle, still in the circle, but in the outer circle of the circle of trust, I would put Kyle Seeger, because you know what Kyle Seeger is going to give you. Largely hitting 230 to 240, but solid defense at third base. A bat that, you know, with this lineup, you look at as relatively close to a plus. And I'm going to put Yusei Kikuchi in the outer circle of the Mariners' circle of trust. And I bring that up because he's given you seven innings three times thus far this year. There's an old-school side of me that enjoys any starting pitcher that is allowed to pitch past the fifth inning, that is allowed to pitch past the sixth inning on top of that, He's done that a couple of times this year, and surprisingly, he has been the Mariners' most consistent starting pitcher. Now, it hurts, of course, that James Paxton got injured so early into his first start, and Marco Gonzalez right now we're not 100% sure when he is going to come back. But that's the guys, those four, those are the guys that are in my circle of trust right now. 710-710 is the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. If you want to make an argument for somebody that I haven't put in there, have at it. You can tweet me, too, at Gallant says. Who do you think is in the circle of trust? One texter is saying that, oh, I can imagine Jared Kelnick smashing someone in the face with a volleyball. <laughs> That's a scene from Meet the Parents, which one texter, well, actually, guys, says that Meet the Parents came out in 2000, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for that. I appreciate the 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 uh, uh, insight there. All right, so that's the question of the day. Who would you put in the Mariners' circle of trust? It's 10-10. This is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington, nay, the world. 10-15, you'll have a chance to call in at 206-421-3776. This hour of the Paul Galan Show is brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. But now it's time for What's Trending, brought to you by Kings Heating and Air with Maura Dooley. Morrow. Good morning, afternoon. How are you now? Good morning, afternoon. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How was your weekend? Eh, it was pretty good. I heard you tell a lie earlier, though. Whoa. What was the lie? You told Brock and Danny that you got tan. Yeah. Over the weekend. Yeah. Do you want it? I got a, I got a little tan mark right here. <laughs> See, right on my chest. There's a little bit of a, of a red mark. You know, I was sitting Tans out. are red. For me, this is tan. <laughs> How dare you, uh, first off, call me a liar, because this is tan for me. Just because you can't see it. I can see it. <sighs> People okay. are calling me a liar because I can't p- figure out when Meet the Parents came out. Morris says I'm not tan. This is a this is a I'll, Travis you know, Sham mockery. I'll give that to you. I'm sorry. I feel bad. <laughs> no, don't. You're 100 right. There's like one little red mark on my chest because I was wearing a button-down shirt and I uh, had a couple buttons down. You know, it was nice outside. Rode my scooter there. It was great. Uh, there's these scooters that are now all over Seattle. In case you haven't seen them. And I am a big proponent of those little Uber scooters that you can ride. There's an app called Lime that you download to ride around on them. And it was really pleasant yesterday. It was a nice sunny day. And I'm riding my scooter around Ballard. Good old time. Nice. 
Yeah. Sounds like a lovely weekend. Yes, much better than Mariners baseball uh, this weekend because this weekend, especially yesterday, yikes. That stunk. Also much better than uh, Bob Baffert, Mm. who uh, is now uh, finding out that his his horse, Medina Spirit, who won the Kentucky Derby, tested positive for drugs. He says that it is BS. Here was Baffert on Fox News this morning. Churchill Downs came out with that statement. That was pretty harsh. I think they had to just, you know, with all the noise going out, you know, we live in a different world now. This this America is different. And it was like a cancel culture kind of a, a thing. So they're reviewing it. I haven't been told anything. I'm, uh, we're prepared to run. What? This guy is a bit of a weasel. But I got to yeah. say, he's pretty sharp here. You know your audience. And that's a pretty good spot to drop in a nice little cancel culture reference to get people on your side. Just saying on that front. I do think that we are a little bit too sensitive with some things these days and particularly things that have been said way back in the day. Maybe we're a little bit unfair with rushes to judgment. I'm not saying that applies to everything, though. No, I'm not. Certain circumstances, maybe that is the case. But when it comes to this, trying to bring all the cancel culture in here and using this as the straw man that's potentially keeping you down, that is funny. That just makes me laugh. Honestly, Maura, I didn't even know who won the Kentucky Derby until all these cheating allegations came out. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I generally watch it because I used to always watch it with my dad, but I missed it this year. He did tell me that this horse was not expected to win. So the fact that it's juicing, Mm. I guess, makes a little sense. The poor other horses. (laughs) The poor other horses that thought that they were finally going to get their moment in the sun. I'm really curious as to what is going through a horse's brain as they are set out to race. Like, do they have any idea what's going on? Are they actually competitive? I mean, you've seen in oh, movies. I think they are, yeah. You think so? Yeah. Okay. I've definitely seen, I think it was in Seabiscuit, where they made a big deal out of, in the movie, how you got to let Seabiscuit see the other horse in the eyes. And I was like, okay, it's a horse. You sure? But maybe they are competitive. Anyway, was, th- I do know because um, I saw this floating around on Twitter that the race before the Kentucky Derby, there was an actual dead heat. Oh. I've never seen that before where their noses were on the line, the same exact spot. It was just a tie. Oh, wow. Oh, interesting. I, I, I wonder about so many things with horse racing. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bizarre, like the culture around it as well. Being a jockey, what that must be like. We don't have time, Paul. Okay. Next. We'll move into another form of racing. Okay. Uh, Seahawks wide receiver DK Metcalf tried his hand at the Olympic trials for the 100 meters this weekend. Mm-hmm. And um, when all was said and done, did pretty well. He did not qualify, but um, finished 15th out of 17 um, runners. So he wasn't the worst competing against guys that this is what they do for a living. And he outweighed most of those guys by at least 50 pounds. He ran wow. at 10 I'm really impressed by his performance there. It's clear that he prepared for this, so he took it seriously. And I think that's the most important part about something like this. When there is an athlete that wants to try something out, to just show up and do it a little disrespectful to the actual sport. And I guess I am someone that does believe in the idea of honor when you are an athlete. To just try and pick something up without the actual preparation necessary and expecting to dominate at it or expecting to succeed at it, it's pretty arrogant. A texter actually he brought up. on track in high school, though. 
that's true. Yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah. So, and he, look, clearly is very, very fast. So it's not as if, I, I think a lot of people that were in the sprinting world were, were a little upset more about the idea of him competing. But it's clear that he respected this sport. A texter, though, brought up, because I actually like seeing this. I like seeing athletes try out other sports and seeing how they would do, assuming that they do some preparation for it. But a, a texter basically said, well, by that logic, Paul, with the Paul brothers, you're a fan of them trying to fight. It's a little different because they're not actual athletes, but I will say... Going from YouTube star to, yeah. I will say it's clear Logan Paul actually cares, and he has worked hard. And I would say with Nate Robinson just showing up, who he fought against, I don't know that Nate put in the same work. I don't know that whoever he just beat, that dude in MMA who looked like he was out of shape, in fact, I have a pretty good feeling that he did not put in the work. So... If you put in the work and you want to try your, try it out at that level, have at it. But it is definitely different because he is not an athlete. He is a YouTube star. But I'll give him credit. I mean, he's pretty athletic as YouTube stars go. That's for sure. That's what's trending with Maura Dooley. Brought to you by Kings Heating and Air every single morning afternoon at 1015. 206-421-3776 is the number to call in. The question of the day. Who would you put in the Mariner's circle of trust? For me, I've got Kendall Graveman, Mitch Hanniger, Kyle Seeger, and Yusei Kikuchi. But is there anybody else that you would put in? By the way, we're giving you 31 chances to win a station logo smart speaker. Head to 710sports.com slash win to learn how. Don't forget, say play 710 ESPN Seattle to your smart speaker, and you can listen to our shows all day long from the comfort of your home. And if you want to watch the video edition of 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com slash video. 206-421-3776. Again, it's your chance to be heard. Your voice. Your opinions. It's time to be heard. Every day at 1015 with Paul Gallant. Be heard. 710-710. It's Jake Paul, writes a texter. Logan Paul is fighting Floyd. Well, since they are YouTube stars, and I do have respect that they are putting effort into it, I feel like I am allowed to confuse their names. It's hard to keep track. Aren't they twins? Are they twins? They look very similar. I don't think so, but they do look a lot alike. Oh, uh, do I? Was that was that Blondcist, me saying that they look alike? <laughs> I honestly wouldn't know. Some other texts. 710-710. Who is in the Mariners' circle of trust? One texter says Sam Haggerty. Hmm. I don't think I'd go that far. I think there are some other guys that you would put ahead of him that are on the that are essentially in line and there is a bouncer, and he's got one of those velvet rope chains. J.P. Crawford, with the way that he has played recently, I don't know that it's sustainable at the plate, but it is noteworthy enough that he got moved to the top of the order for this weekend series, and he still delivered. Kyle Lewis was 7 for 13 this weekend, which was great to see. Maybe the Rangers are just terrible. Pitchers, hitters, although, you know, you lost two or three to them. That's still annoying. Ty France, because of the slump that he's been in, I can't put him in there. Justin Dunn, because of his control issues, I can't put him in there. Justice Sheffield, because of the start that you saw from him on Sunday, I couldn't put him in in there either. Those are the five that I would, though, accept like arguments for. You just have to make a strong one to get them into the actual circle of trusts. To the bouncer. I am the bouncer. The smallest, least intimidating bouncer of all time. 7-10, 7-10 is the... Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Jason, 
Jason, you have a nominee for the Mariners Circle of Trust. Who you got? Uh, yeah, my nominee is uh, Tom Murphy. He's a proven veteran, albeit he started off in kind of a slump, but I think he's largely responsible uh, for uh, the way the bullpen has performed, mm. and the starting pitching has come around, I think, with him. And he very frequently receives shout-outs from Scott Service and the, the pitching staff itself. That's an interesting argument. And you know what? I will allow that one because of the way that he is framing these pitches. I'm assuming that he is helping the bullpen out a lot. It is tough, though, to entirely put someone in the circle of trust when they are struggling at the plate like so many other Mariners. Tom Murphy's batting 143 right now. So when you're batting sub of 200, not ideal. But, yeah, that makes sense as somebody that at the very least should be maybe in the waiting room. And I maybe, I guess I'm going to be a little bit more forgiving when it comes to anyone that you might nominee nominate to get in there. Text in 710-710 on the back of Jack's Brewing Company text line. Kelnick will be the Robert De Niro of trust when he gets up. Oh, wow, so he's going to create his own circle of trust, and everybody else is going to have to follow him into that. That would be pretty aggressive. Two texts, I think these are great points, slash questions. Is Scott Service in the circle of trust? Is Jerry DePoto in the circle of trust? I think based off of the lack of a contract extension that we have seen from the Mariners, I think that the Mariners are still trying to figure that out. I actually do trust Jerry DePoto's vision on this, and it's mainly because if you're able to turn around a farm system that had nothing into what this farm system at least theoretically is based off of rankings that are put together by those who know a lot more about minor league baseball than me, then, yeah, he's done a really good job in a quick period of time turning things around. And I think that when you have a manager – these days, the manager is carrying out the plan of the general manager. If these guys are, these guys are not, I, I, I think, separate entities. I, I, I feel like they are the same. Service is executing the plan that Jerry DePoto wants. And with that in mind, I, I feel like they are tied at the hand. And I do feel like just based off of what you have seen over the last year and a half that you would have to put both in there, right? I mean, they have been frisky and competitive despite not having a whole lot of talent. They have been frisky and competitive despite a lineup that has a lot of, I think, holes at this point in time. And the early results, at least from Ty France, the early results from Taylor Trammell say that there's something there with both of those two players that Jerry acquired in a trade at the end of the season. I think with Trammell, it's going to take a little bit longer to actually tap into all that potential that he might have, but I know he does. he has power. And with Ty France, this is the first challenge, really, of his major league career as far as getting into a slump and trying to find a way out of it. Uh, Can I nominate someone? Go ahead, Maura Dooley. I think Will Vest deserves to be in there. Will Vest, another uh, friend of the program. Will Vest, who joined us on Danny and Gallant, if I'm not mistaken. Was that opening day when he joined us? I think that was right before his first win. That's right. It It was later that day. Okay. There are enough guys in the bullpen, honestly, Maura, that I feel like you could put in there. And yeah, in... In 15 games, he's done pretty, pretty well thus far. I'm looking at his statistics right now, and all of a sudden pop-ups are jumping up all over the place. <laughs> there we go. There it is. Two I point- mean, it's been a little harder with the bullpen starts, but he's been overall really consistent for them. The bullpen starts are so weird, and I wonder how much longer they're going to go with those, especially now that LJ Newsom is injured too. Are they all of a sudden going to pull Logan Gilbert from the minors? Someone tried to pull a fast one on me a couple of moments ago. I had to, I had to mute the fella on Twitter because he tagged me in some post. It's a fake post, but it was from a fake Mariners PR account that said that Jared Kelnick 
had been uh, promoted and that Taylor oh. Trammell had been sent down to the minors. Yes, it's a fake report. I'm mad at that person. <laughs> Morris saw me like in the break. I was like, oh, my goodness, look at this news. And then I was like, oh, the person is. I was panicking. I was like, oh, we got breaking news right before your show. Yeah, I thought so, too. And now, no, no. So you almost pulled a fast one on me, buddy. Honestly, a, a slightly le- uh, more careless Paul, which would probably exist, I don't know, two or three years ago. He might have he might have fallen hook, line, and sinker for that one. I'm Paul Gallant. This is the Paul Gallant Show. 206-421-3776 is how you call. We'll get back to your phone calls at 1045. 710-710 is the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line on the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle, in Washington, nay the world. Michael Bumpus joins me next. And I've got a question for him about the sophisticated Seattle Seahawks offense, at least as described by Tyler Lockett. How sophisticated was Brian Schottenheimer's offense, and how much more sophisticated is Shane Waldron's going to be? Bump will answer those questions for me next, right here, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's 1030. And that means it's time to get in the sports pit. In the pit where all that stuff goes down, and if you don't have some freaking toughness, you're going to get your, you're going you're to fail. With Paul Gallant. Michael Bumpus joins me on the Issaquah Pest Control Hotline. If you've got a question for Michael Bumpus, 710-710 is how you text it in. Michael Bumpus, good morning, afternoon. How are you now? What's up, Gallant? I'm doing well. How are you doing today, sir? I, I cannot complain. Not going to lie, was... Very intrigued by uh, your son's highlights, future Pele playing soccer on Instagram yesterday. Hey, he, he works hard, and uh, he's reaping the benefits right now. Got a long way to go, though, Paul. He's 11, so uh, we got some work to do. Coach speak already for an 11-year-old. I love it. I love it. But you can't take the coach out of Michael Bumpus. The Seahawks have a new coach. They bring Shane Waldron in as their offensive coordinator and he replaces Brian Schottenheimer. And, Bump, there was something interesting that Tyler Lockett said with us on Friday, and we didn't get a chance to have you react to it, but he says the word sophisticated when describing what the Seahawks offense feels like right now under Shane Waldron. Here's Tyler. You know, I've been, in, I've been on the team for six years, so, you know, the way that we did a lot of the stuff, it was easy to remember. And so when you're having to learn a whole different type of terminology with some of the similar routes or whatever the case may be, but it's, they're being called different words, now it's just being able to have to really buckle down and, and have to teach yourself like this whole entire philosophy and this whole entire, you know, termination and all that different type of stuff. Um, I think it's a really nice offense. You know, it's just it's really, really sophisticated. And so you really have to be able to – to know a bunch of stuff. This brings up a couple of questions for me, Bump. So I'll start with the first one. How sophisticated was Brian Schottenheimer's offense as far as offenses across the NFL go? And I asked that question because I remember before moving here, hearing the Seahawks offense consistently described as a rather simplistic one. Yeah. Um, so when you use the word sophisticated, there, there's a couple of things that come to mind, right? It's, how the play is called. I remember getting in the huddle with Matt Hasselback, and the play was so long, it was like a run-on sentence. I was just looking for certain parts of that sentence that applied to me, right? So then there's, there's getting the play out. There's also uh, pre-snap, formations, shifts, motions. You know what I mean? Um, you can kind of look at that, and then it's adjustments, right? Does this offense have adjustments within the play? If you see a certain 
box or certain coverage in the secondary. Can you switch out of that? So when I look at Schottenheimer's offense, it didn't look like there were many shifts, many motions, and it didn't seem like Russell Wilson checked out of a lot of things, and it didn't seem like they adjusted to what they saw. So that's what I saw at Schottenheim. It was like, look, this is the play we're running. Go ahead and make it work. So if I hear Tyler Lockett saying that this offense is a bit more sophisticated, I think about pre-snap adjustments. I think about motion shifts. And then I think about just the terminology. You know, it might be some run-on sentences going on there, but it, it really tells everybody what they're doing and what their adjustment is. It's a new language for Tyler Lockett. You know what I mean? Um, he had the same kind of terminology for, for five or six years, and now he's learning a new language. So it's, it's all about little tweaks. You know, it might not seem like a lot to people watching the game, but when you see Russell Wilson get to the line of scrimmage, he's going to scan that box. He's going to look left or right. He might adjust that offensive line's protection, look to the receivers, make sure they're on the same page. That's how an offense gets sophisticated. Okay. I'm intrigued by how different it was going from Wazoo to the NFL, just the differences in languages from the college level to the NFL level. Was that tough to pick up? Um, it wasn't. I mean, it could be tough for some people. You know, one thing I, I did well, Paul, was, it was football. <laughs> so you, <laughs> you could throw anything at me, and I was pretty much going to pick it up. But it was different, man. You know, I played in the same offense at Wazoo for four years. And um, it, it was simple to me because I, I'd been in it. When I got to the NFL, I really had to study. I had to, I had to understand what I'm trying to do and what I, whatever I do, how it affects the whole scheme of things. And then understanding, you know, once you get deeper into it, once you're comfortable with your position, now it's like, okay, let's understand what the linemen are thinking here. Let's understand what the running backs are thinking here. How can I help these guys do their job by doing my job at a high level? Michael Bumpus with me in the sports pit on the Issaquah Pest Control Hotline. Okay, so the word sophisticated, we heard what it was for Brian Schottenheimer. Is it possible for an offense to be too sophisticated? I ask that question because during my time in Houston, I would regularly hear that maybe Bill O'Brien's offense was a little bit too complicated and that maybe that was one of the reasons why the offense underachieved at times. I would imagine that some offenses are maybe over-the-top sophisticated. Yeah, it's all about what your players can handle. You know what I mean? Like if you have a group full of C-plus students, you're going to grade on the curve, right? I'm going to help these guys out, make sure everyone understands what's going on. I'm going to grade on this curve. I'm going to give them a cheat sheet. I'm going to make sure they're good to go. Or if you have these guys out here who are football players, students of the game, who have been around for a while, who come from different offices and defenses and understand the complexity of things, um, it allows you to be more sophisticated, be more complex. So it, it's all about your personnel. What can your players handle? And that's where good coaches shine, right? They're like, look, my guys can't handle this. I'm going to dumb it down. It's kind of like Jay-Z. Jay-Z, when he was rapping, sometimes he was too sophisticated. All these bars went over dudes' heads. Like, what is he talking about? So he dumbed it down. What do he do when he dumbed it down? He went platinum, Paul. So sometimes <laughs> you got to dumb it down to fit your audience. This is a question that just came to mind, and it's a total change of pace. There is a big scandal going on in the world of horse racing bump because the winner of the Kentucky Derby Medina spirit tested positive for drugs after the Kentucky Derby, Bob Baffert, who I guess is the the trainer for the horse. I'm not hundred percent sure what his official title is, has been essentially on the war path with all sorts of just really amusing excuses as far as why things are going the way that they're going. 
one of the excuses he used is that his horse is a victim of cancel culture, which just made me laugh very hard. It's a horse. <laughs> Talking about a horse here. But it got me thinking, okay, you're a parent. What is the most hard, implausible to believe excuse that you have ever had that you have gotten from one of your kids? Gotten from one of my kids. Um, <laughs> you know, if they get caught doing something, one, it's I didn't know I couldn't do that. You know dang well you couldn't do that. You lived <laughs> in my house for 10, 11 years. You know you couldn't do that. Or kind of stretching it a little bit. Like, okay, well, you said I could only go to the green truck on the street. Like, I, I get my kids boundaries. There just happens to be another green truck down the street. I thought you said that green truck. No, Michael, you know what <laughs> truck I'm talking about. So just been in the words, man. And, and, and that doesn't surprise me. You know who Bob is cool with too, man. Who? He's cool with, uh, Belichick. Oh, you know, so, you know they're, they're, buddies. <laughs> they're winners. They know how to stretch the truth and kind of bend rules a little bit. Cancel culture for a horse. Nah, man, that's all. That's all on the owner. That's all on the owner. We're ca- council culture goes to the owner, not the horse. The horse is just an animal that's been bred to run his, his heart out. So, uh, yeah, man, I'm I'm not with that. You got caught cheating. You got caught cheating. Take it on the chin. Move on. Apologize. America forgives. <laughs> you misinterpreted the rules, is what Belichick would say. Yeah, I I, I wonder <laughs> about that bump because uh, certain former presidents have perhaps called. Uh, the horse a junkie, as if the, the horse is proactively <laughs> seeking out these drugs today, which is just absolutely hilarious the way that this thing has unfolded. Bump, always love it when you join me, and we will have more Michael Bumpus on Danny and Gallant Wednesday at 8 o'clock. Thanks, Bump. All right, Paul. Have a good one, man. Up next, I brought this up a couple of times when it comes to the Seahawks. Shane Waldron, I think, is going to be probably the most important addition to this team this year. And I do wonder if it's possible that the sophistication that he could bring into the offense in some ways, which seems like it would be beneficial, if there's any, perhaps, reason that that maybe could bring along some problems along the way. Plus, you get to answer this question, who would you put in the Mariners' circle of trust? 206-421-3776. I'm Paul Gallant. This is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington, nay the world, on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Paul Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Every day at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle. It's the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle, in Washington, nay, the world, 710-710. It's how you text in on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. You can also call in 206-421-3776. The question of the day, who is in the Mariners' circle of trust? Kendall Graveman, Mitch Hanniger, definitively. Kyle Seeger, Yusei Kikuchi, I think, are on the outside of this circle, but they're in the circle. They're just not in the inner circle, like Graveman and Mitch Hanniger. And then after that, you got a line. And then in that line, in no particular order, Kyle Lewis, J.P. Crawford, Ty France, Justin Dunn, Justice Sheffield. But if you've got some differences, text them in, 710-710. Some people have suggested both uh, Scott Service and Jerry Depoto. I feel like they're different. I feel like those guys are perhaps the ones that would be creating the circle of trust in this scenario. They are trying to determine who they can trust long-term, short-term on their roster. So if you want to make the argument that they're in it, then you feel good about the process of this team and maybe you're going to be a little bit more patient after two series in a row where you lose to the Orioles and the Rangers got to say if we're going to hold them to standards this year 
I don't know if it's embarrassing. Sunday's loss was embarrassing. Three errors. You were struggling at the plate with runners in scoring position. Just unable to get runs. But you were at the very least hitting. The last two series have been disappointing, definitively. Venture toward embarrassing if they had perhaps been swept in one of those two. Now, you got a pretty brutal stretch coming up if you are the Mariners. You play the Dodgers the next two games after today off. You play Cleveland for four games. Cleveland is plus 500. You play Detroit. Detroit stinks. So May 17th through May 19th, you should be able to add a couple of dubs along the way. But then after that, the Padres and the A's. So four of your next five opponents are good teams. And we might see this team start to fall back to earth a little bit. I'm wondering if those guys in the circle of trust might have some extra invitees that get in. If J.P. Crawford can continue doing what he has been doing of late. If what we have seen from Kyle Lewis means that Kyle Lewis is about to go on a tear, much like we saw him for much of his rookie season. Ty France still has to get out of that slump. And I'm wondering if that's actually something that's going to take place. Text in 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. There's a couple about Evan White. Evan White's glove is in the circle. His bat needs to stay outside. <laughs> One texter. Evan White, I trust he can't hit. I will even cut him some slack because on Saturday he hit a double, he hit a home run, and he had a single on Sunday. Danny will consistently go to the degree of contact with which he has hit the ball from time to time. I would say that I don't like hearing that because I feel like you are just trying and looking and squeezing any positivity out of any random occurrence if you're doing things like that. But look, two hits on Saturday, a hit on Sunday against the Rangers, yeah. Is he going to be able to keep that up against the Dodgers? Is he going to be able to have some of that consistency over the course of a week? A couple of games, you can't point at them and say, ha-ha, Evan White has figured it out finally. You can't go about it that way. 206 421 3776 is how you call in. We got Scott in Tumwater. Scott, you got an issue with Saturday's game. What was it? I'm doing well, Scott. Hey, dude. Hey, my problem is we got runners at second and third. We get a ground ball to Crawford, and he throws it home, right? Mm. And Terence just steps on the base like it's a force out. How come we're not talking about I mean, you're the catcher. You're supposed to know what's going on. You're supposed to be knowing everything, and that guy's standing on the base like it's a force out. That's a knucklehead play. He's probably right now, and just based off of the way that people reacted to that moment and most of this weekend, Luis Torrens, I think, is probably well outside the circle of trust at this point in time. And yeah, 1-800, hit the road, Jack. Thanks a lot, Paul. (laughs) Appreciate the phone call, Scott. Situational awareness is huge, and I will say for the most part, defensively the Mariners over the last two seasons I think they have actually been pretty good in the field but this weekend was bad not just Saturday with what Scott laid out but also yesterday three errors come on Uh, one last thing before we hit the road and this was what I wanted to get to with Tyler Lockett and his comments about the Seahawks offense and sophistication I've always heard that the Seahawks offense is simple which is probably a good thing when you see some of the playground style plays that Russell Wilson will improvise into. You got a lot of guys running deep. You have a quarterback who has the ability to throw the football deep to guys like Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf 
And I think in that Brian Schottenheimer offense, there was a lot more freedom for Russ, ironically, not necessarily to not hand the football off, but to operate in a way that I think allows him to use his instincts. I'm very curious as to if this offense is perhaps not only going to be a little bit complicated for the young wide receivers, but if it also is one that calls on Russ to operate on schedule more often. And while I think there is an argument to be made that there have been times where Russ probably, it would be advantageous for him to operate within an offense, there is an element, too, of that improvisation that he's able to do that makes him so special. And it's one of the frustrating things about him. He definitely takes too many sacks, 100%. And I will give him some credit on the argument that he has said. I, I, I think it's annoying that the way that he minimized the sacks that he takes because sometimes he throws for touchdowns, but that is a part of the Russell Wilson experience. I am curious as to if this offense is going to curl tail that in some way, shape, or form. Appreciate y'all for calling in to the Paul Galan Show, the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington, nay, the world, for texting in as well on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. For those who watched on the live stream, 710sports.com slash video, to Michael Bumpus, who stopped by as well. And, of course, the one and only Maura Dooley, who makes this thing happen every single day. I am merely Paul Gallant. So long. Farewell. You'll hear me and Danny tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock. Jake and Stacy are next.